Morning, everyone. If you want to grab a seat. Before I speak, um, I'm going to speak on parables today. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you for the worship we've all enjoyed. I thank you for encountering your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for the next half hour or so as I speak, I pray, um, let it not be my words, but yours. And I pray for open hearts and open ears for what you might say. So I pray your blessing on the rest of this morning. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Um, so, this is the third installment in the Living Out Loud series. Yep. Oh, if we could just go back once. Oh, no, back up, other way. There you go. Yep. Uh, Living Out Loud. So, it's the series we're in at the moment. So, we've had two so far, uh, Neil and then Kate. Um, the tagline is living and sharing God's love in everyday ways. So, it's all about how we can live our lives, how we can talk with our neighbors, our friends, in such ways that they see and know something of God's love and kingdom. And um, so week one, we heard from Neil, who talked about the four corners of Christianity, or the four corners of living out loud, as he called it, which were social justice, salvation, scripture, and signs and wonders. Now, if you've um, known the Lord for a while, you might have encountered those words, and you'll probably find yourself passionate about maybe one or two of them more than the others. Neil talked a lot about pushing into the one you're passionate about, but also not forgetting the others. And last week, Kate talked from uh, John about the woman caught in adultery. And she talked about showing the sort of kindness and compassion that Christ showed to her, and mimicking that and knowing how to show that same compassion to people we meet. And today, continuing the series, we're going to talk about parables. Um, I've been, over the last few weeks, immersing myself in the parables of Jesus. And it is fascinating when you read them, when you look at when they were told, how they're structured. I'm a bit of a geek. I quite like all that. I go quite in-depth. It's really interesting, I think. Um, so the word parable, where does it come from? If we could have the slide after. Talking of being a geek, I love maths. So, <laughs> so this is called a parabolic curve. And what it means, it, the shape you can see is a, is a U-shape. And the Greek word uh, parabole means alongside. So you've got this curve, and you can see you've got two sides kind of facing each other. And it compares two things with one another. So a parable, in the same way, puts two things against each other, God's kingdom and this world, <clears throat> which is why we get where we get the word parable from. And today we're going to look at one of the most famous parables. We're gonna look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we have the wonderful Eliora, who's gonna come and read for us this parable. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
He said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while travelling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put them, him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was the neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Eliora is from our youth group, um, and I think that was wonderful. So can we give a little round of applause to Eliora? Thank you so much, Eliora. Now, to give a bit of context of when this takes place and where this takes place, in Luke's gospel, about a third of it is dedicated to what's called the travel narrative, which is where Jesus sets off from Galilee and goes south down to Jerusalem to ultimately be crucified. So it's probably the last three or four weeks of his life, but there's a as I said, about a third of Luke's gospel dedicated to this. And in that section, it's packed with parables, with conversations, with interactions that Jesus has through his time. So you can see here, Galilee at the top, uh, Judea with Jerusalem at the bottom, Samaria in the middle. Samaria is like enemy territory to the Jews. They, they hated each other. But he chooses to walk through at least part of Samaria for his final journey. He didn't have to. He could walk around it, but he chose to walk through some of it, which I'll come to later, but is significant. And whilst he's, if we go to the next slide, whilst he's uh, at this point where he's teaching and he, he says the parable, teaches the parable of the good Samaritan, it looks like he's probably in a crowded sort of marketplace or something like that because the lawmaker, teacher of the law, stands up to speak, which normally means everyone's sitting down like in this picture and to speak, oh, the one before, sorry. Um, like in the previous picture, when everyone's sitting down, someone stands up in that tradition and that's when they have the right to speak and that's when he asks the questions. So it's probably in the sort of similar setting to that. And looking at the timing, looking at where it's placed in the book of Luke, he's probably right near the border of Samaria. And the closer you get to the border of any um, kind of enemy territory, the more tense things get. So to bring out a Samaritan as the, the savior in the story is a pretty provocative thing to do when you're right on the border of Samaria as a Jew to say that. So then if we get the next slide, that is an artist's depiction of the road this incident would have happened. And I've looked at Google Earth and different pictures. It looks pretty similar. And it's a very, it was known to be a very dangerous road. Robbers um, would often hide out. You can see there's lots of crags. You could kind of hide out behind the rocks. On the slopes, you get pushed down. It was a very dangerous place. It was known to be kind of 
a bit lawless on that road. So if, if Jesus mentions, when he mentions the road from um, Jericho to Jerusalem, people would have known, oh, that's a pretty dodgy place. And so for someone to be beaten and robbed would not have seemed particularly unnormal, um, abnormal. So that's the setting. Um, the other significant thing about this is when Jesus travels down from Galilee to Jerusalem, he's deliberately putting himself in places where people don't know him, deliberately putting himself in places where he's sort of walking into enemy territory. People don't want to accept him. He comes through Samaria, as I said. He's not sitting all the time with his disciples. He's not sitting all the time with um, in synagogues, in safe places. He's going out there. He's doing the stuff. He's teaching in adversity. So that's the, the kind of background, the journey he's on. And he's pretty relaxed on it, way more relaxed than I would imagine he would be knowing what's going to happen in three or, four, three or four weeks' time. So the question is, what can we learn from how Jesus uses this parable and other parables? And I think the first thing is the power of storytelling. A good story has a few different um, elements in it, which I'll go, to, go through in a second, but they're always good stories. They always engage the listener. But before he tells the stories, he normally asks questions. Jesus asks loads of questions. In Luke's gospel, in any kind of evangelistic conversation, if you add them all up, he asks 82 questions. Matthew's gospel 94. He asks tons and tons of questions. And that is partly to kind of reveal what's in someone's heart and partly to gauge what the other person wants, who the other person is, so he can contextualize what he's about to say. And that's one of the things that really stands out when you look at the parables. He always contextualizes. He always speaks to the people um, at where they are, geographically, where they are in life. He tries to speak to them, ask questions which are relevant to them. And in, in doing that, he then, when he does start the parable, they're almost always indirect. He rarely goes head on for a straight fight. He always goes around the side to kind of show something, to unlock something in the heart, to reveal something that just takes you by surprise a little bit. Sometimes he uses parables to jolt people, Pharisees and Sadducees in particular. Um, why are Pharisees always wearing a frown? Because they're so sad, you see. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Um, dad jokes. Anyway, um, yeah, often to Pharisees and Sadducees. If you think about the parable, if you know uh, many of the parables, is one of uh, a vineyard where the owners keep sending um, messengers and eventually his son, and they kill all of them. And that's a direct challenge to the person asking the question. So sometimes they're a challenge. Sometimes parables are used to explain the situation. The parable of the sower would be a good example where they sow seed and it, some of it lands on rocky ground, gains no, gains no um, roots. Some of it falls on good ground but grows up in weeds and gets blocked by those. And that's like those who, where the message of God lands but ultimately doesn't grow because of the worries of life. And then some lands on fertile ground and grows beautifully. And that's more of an explanation, that one. But all parables reveal something of God's kingdom. And like the best stories, parables have multiple layers, like I said. They always capture the, capture the imagination. 
they mostly, not all, but mostly teach moral behavior. And they all teach something of God and his kingdom. And this one does all three beautifully. If you look at this one, it grabs our imagination, it grabs our emotions. The people there would have known the setting, they would have known the types of people, they would have known Levites, priests. They clearly would have known Sumerians because they're right on the border. And they'd have put themselves in one of those people's shoes. If you, I'm not going to go too in-depth into this parable because I want to talk more about parables. I'm going to speak about it, but if you really want to go in-depth in this, Neil did a fantastic preach just before the pandemic where he talked about putting yourself in different people's shoes and who we see ourselves as in this story. If, um, yeah, maybe look it up online. Um, but we, the, each of the people hearing it, when we hear it, we can say, well, we're feeling beaten down by life. Maybe we feel like the Samaritan. Maybe we feel like the person who would have helped. Maybe actually we feel like, oh, I, c I can imagine myself walking past. We can imagine it creates emotion. Maybe it creates uh, anger. Maybe it creates empathy. But, but like the best stories, it creates some reaction in us. And it teaches moral behavior, this story. Loving our, sa our neighbors as ourselves, even our worst enemies, Samaritans versus Jews. It, means, it talks about going over and above for someone else, not just someone else, someone we don't like. This man, the Samaritans, the Samaritan, he risks his reputation going near um, going near a, someone beaten, someone outside of his community. The, um, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible talk about touching a dead body, making you unclean. Now the Samaritans did believe in that. And so he wouldn't have known whether this person was dead or alive. So he risked going against his laws. He risked money by paying for the man to be in an inn and taken care of. He risked his time and with nothing in return. Purely grace-shaped love. And it kind of rings a bell if you, if you want to turn to Matthew 5, 40 to 48. Sorry, I haven't got the slide of this one, but if you turn to it, it says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, he enables us to do this. It's not easy. We can try and push through, but with Jesus' protection, with Jesus' peace that surpasses all understanding, this is made so much more possible. I love what Dallas Willard says about Psalm 23. In his book, Life Without Lack, he says, he picks out the sentence that says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And he says, of that, since I love my enemies, I would not feast upon a delicious meal in their presence and let them stand hungry. The abundance of God's love and his provision and his safety in my life is so great, I would invite them to enjoy what God has prepared for me. I love that. Until I read that, I never thought of taking that sentence so far, of loving my enemies that much that I would invite them in, share my meal, because I know God's love, I know God's peace, I know God's protection, 
And he gives me confidence to do that. And finally, this parable teaches us something of the kingdom of heaven. The topsy-turvy, upside-down kingdom of heaven. Teaches us something of grace-shaped love. Giving without receiving anything back. Risking life, money, reputation without expecting or receiving anything in return. You know, Romans 5.10 says we were God's enemies. It says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be be saved through his life? He shows us unlimited grace and mercy, giving everything for us. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. Jesus only came as a man because of love. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's individually in the human race. He loves so much. His whole ministry and all his stories were driven by love. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. This whole story, in some way, is a glimpse of the cross. The love that the Samaritan gives, grace-shaped love, is a small foretaste of what was gonna happen in about a month later the full weight of sin on Jesus on that cross for us with nothing in return for him. Grace-shaped love. Man has no greater love than he who lays his life down for his friends. And we are called God's friends. So, taking a step back, what does all this mean for living out loud? What does it mean for how we can live and share God's love in ordinary ways? Well, I think specifically this parable teaches us that we must be active in our love for others, and in particular, our enemies. It's not hard, that hard, I don't think, to love um, those we're close to anyway. Like, sometimes we'll have arguments, sure, but in general, that's not the hard bit. The hard bit is those who we find really difficult those we don't like, those who've done something to us, those we're offended by. So I think this parable in particular tells us to be active in loving them. For me, the way I find that easiest is um, through a prayer called the Examen. And what that does is it's just an evening prayer where you kind of reflect through the day. You reflect on your emotions, what's happened, and you ask for God to speak into that. You ask the Holy Spirit to speak into why you did certain things, why you felt certain ways. And I, back when I was working in, in Australia, in Sydney, um, there was a lady in, in the department I was working in who we just clashed. We're just different on those kind of personality spectrums. We're probably just opposite ends. That's all it really was. But we, we clashed. And there was this meeting coming up, and I, I thought, oh, this is going to go quite badly. It's quite a controversial topic coming up, and I know we disagree on it. So the night before, I'd, I'd gone through this examined process, and... I felt the Holy Spirit just say, pray for her. I'd also recently watched a video from Bill Johnson, who leads Bethel Church in Reading in America, and he was talking about conflict becoming a holy moment, using conflict, using those moments and glorifying God in them. And I thought, okay, I'm going to pray for this lady. I'm going to pray for that meeting. I'm going to pray that we can glorify God, and I'm going to pray that I can show her some love. 
And I don't know exactly what was said, but I do know the meeting went really well. And I can't put that down to me. I can only put that down to the Holy Spirit coming in and answering that prayer. So that was really the, one of the first times I'd seen that kind of active love for someone I didn't particularly get on with. And it was only through the Holy Spirit's power that that worked out the way it did. So, yeah, with this, I'd encourage everyone in this room, including myself, to be really active. Think about those people we find difficult. Pray for them actively. Pray for them. When you get annoyed by them, pray for them. When you come into contact with them, pray for that, that time, that potential argument to be a holy moment glorifying to God. So that's this parable. I mean, there's loads one could say about this parable. As I said, I'll direct you to Neil's talk from a couple of years ago for the, the full in-depth on this parable. But more generally, <laughs> uh, more generally, what can parables and this parable tell us uh, about living out loud? Well, I think one of the things that Jesus' travel narrative, this, this journey down from Galilee through down to Jerusalem, through Samaria, part of the way, it tells me is put yourself in places where people don't know Jesus. Put yourself in places where maybe there's darkness. Be that light in the darkness. Maybe join a club. Maybe, um, maybe there's a book club. Maybe there's uh, a running club, walking club. I don't know. Maybe come to the yard. Um, PTAs, wherever it might be. Put yourself deliberately in places where people don't know Jesus, where, where there's not much hope. And that's what breaks my heart. When I walk down the street, when I speak to people, and I encounter suffering, and I realize that they haven't got the hope of Jesus, because I know what the hope of Jesus gives. I know what that brings. I know that it brings a peace that surpasses understanding. I know that it brings a hope for now, and I know it brings a hope for eternity. And people need that. Need that. Walking down the street, speaking to people, just praying for people, you realize that there is such a lack of knowledge of who we are created to be, that we are loved by a savior, that we are created with a purpose. And so few people know that these days. Let's put ourselves out there into places where we can share that love. One of the best examples I have, and I'm not fully gonna take all my clothes off, just my shirt, because I have a t-shirt which kind of plays into what I'm about to say. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> um, there's a place in Sydney called Wayside Chapel and I, I lived in Sydney and I used to work quite closely with this Wayside Chapel and uh, this is the t-shirt right? love over hate it says at the top and the reason I love Wayside Chapel is because what they did there's a place in Sydney called King's Cross first time I went there I was travelling at the age of 21 um, and it was horrible I mean all the youth hostels are there and they always put youth hostels in the most horrible places. And this was nasty. I mean, I'm talking like needles on the floor. Sex shops everywhere. You've got um, just dirty, grim. And this church decided to put their church right in the middle of this. Not only the church, but also they made it a refuge for people who were homeless, drug addicts, people coming out of prostitution, the darkest stuff they decided to really push into that and bring light into that community. And on their website, if you look them up, they have a section which is stories. They share the stories of the people who have come through there, the hope they've managed to share in 
the middle of darkness. They put themselves in a place of darkness where people didn't know Jesus, and they've got so many stories coming out of that. I mean, that's a pretty huge example. We don't have to go to that level necessarily, but put yourself, let's put all put ourselves in places where we can bring light. And the second and probably bigger thing coming out of parables is stories. Let's get comfortable telling our stories. And we've all got stories. If we've been walking with the Lord even for five minutes, we've got a story to tell of how we met the Lord, what he's done in our lives. Maybe it's, <clears throat> maybe it's that we were healed miraculously. Maybe it was an amazing encounter during worship. Maybe it was a peace that just defied the circumstances. A friend of mine right now is going through just a nightmare circumstance. Um, and he loves the Lord. And he said to me, I met up with him the other day. He said, I can't understand, Alex. I, I'm praying and I just feel peaceful about this. And it doesn't make sense because everything seems to be against me. But I feel peace. And that is the Lord's peace. That is the peace that surpasses all understanding. And I'm hoping that when this passes, he has a story to tell about the Lord's peace through the darkest time. Or maybe it's a scripture that jumped out at you and you've really kept in your heart. We all have stories, acts of kindness, justice, fellowship with other people who love Jesus. We have our stories. Let's think about, practice our stories. Maybe you watched a movie that uh, said something of Jesus. I remember Batman, The Dark Knight. It's, a, it's quite a dark movie, but at the end, there's a beautiful moment. It's stuck with me ever since where Batman takes the full fall, takes the full blame for all the bad things that have happened in Gotham, and he becomes the pariah, despite the fact he's the hero, and lets someone else take all of the glory. And it just struck me how the parallel between that and, and the cross. We all have watched movies or read books that strike us with something deeply moral, and maybe something that has Bible-based messages. Let's share these stories. Let's share them in our families. Let's share them in our friendship groups. Let's share them especially in our home groups. Let's share these stories with one another, in part for the person hearing, in part for us, because it builds us up to remind ourselves of all that God has done, all the wonderful things that he has done, the ways he's got beside us. And we can forget them if we don't remind ourselves, maybe write them down. But it also glorifies God. When we tell stories of his love, when we tell stories of his glory, it glorifies him. We're told in Deuteronomy, 11 verse 18 fix these words and I, I think for this you could maybe replace that with stories of mine in your hearts and minds tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home when you walk along the road when you lie down when you get up write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates just before that in Deuteronomy talks about um, what God has done for the Israelites. It talks about his commandments. So I think it's fair to use this as an example of how we are meant to share stories. Let's just make sure they're bound in our hearts. Let's make sure that we're sharing them as we walk along the street with our friends, with our families, with people at work. They're not in a weird way, just saying, hey, do you know what? This amazing thing happened. I remember Ruth, my wife, saying that one of the times that someone just said, oh, I'd love to come, is when she went to work. And someone said, you look really buzzing today. It was a Monday morning. And she said, 
oh yeah, I just had a great time at church yesterday. It was brilliant. Worship was fantastic. And they're like, oh, can I come? I say, yeah, sure. Simple, right? Not kind of a practice necessarily, kind of three-line description of the cross. I mean, all those are great. Sometimes the most natural ways are the, the best to share. And especially with stories, people tend to love stories. I love stories, especially if they grab our emotion and we can see the power of them. So, um, I'm going to ask you to do something now. It's your turn. For four minutes, you turn to your neighbor and tell them a story from your faith, something that God has done in your life. If you haven't got one, if you're coming here thinking, I don't know what you're talking about, Alex, tell them a story of something moral, something you've read or seen in the news where someone's done something good. But let's just do four minutes, talk to me, the neighbor, sharing one story from your faith. All right, as I close, can I encourage all of us to think of places where people don't yet know Jesus? Think of people we know. Let's be light in the darkness. Let's share the beautiful and profound love and hope of Jesus to those who don't yet know. And let's practice our stories. Let's take them to our friends, our families, our home groups. Let's practice them. Let's just think about, maybe write down the encounters with the Lord that really impacted our lives. Let's practice sharing them with those we're close to so they become easy with those we don't know so well. And if there are some people in this room thinking, no, what is this weirdo talking about? I don't have any stories. I don't know the Lord. Well, honestly, I'm excited for you because you've got such an exciting journey ahead of you of encounters with the Lord. And if you want to know more, come and speak to me, come and speak to Neil, come to speak to Kate um, about what it is to follow the Lord and all the amazing and wonderful things he will bring.